The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. I don't think that we're going to call this one an extra, but it, it could be an extra. Uh, but the breaking news on Wednesday night that the Montreal Canadiens have traded Ben Sherratt to the Florida Panthers in return for a 2023 first round pick, prospect Ty Smilanic, and a 2022 fourth round pick. My name is Jared Book. Joining me today is Matt Drake. Matt, I mean, the first impression of this trade was they got it done. They they, they got that first round pick. Yeah, Trader Kent, man. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to sit here and hold him in comparison to the great Sam Pollock or anything like that just yet. But I got to say, man, um, that's a huge overpay by Florida. They They basically fleece the Florida Panthers here. Ben Sherrod is on an expiring contract. The underlying numbers don't suggest that he makes a very big difference in your ability to win a Stanley Cup or, or not win a Stanley Cup this year. In fact, the underlying numbers suggest that he might make a bigger difference in you not winning the Stanley Cup. Now, obviously, he has a lot of playoff experience, so, so maybe they're really hoping that that experience can drag them a little bit deeper than, than they've gotten before and give them a chance to win it. But this is a huge overpay, huge overpay, and the Montreal Canadiens are the benefactors of that. I, I love this trade. I, I would have liked to see Justin Sordiff or Owen Tippett be the player that came back the other way. But what's the use in splitting hairs on that, right? We have to look at the overall asset collection that Montreal managed to get out of an expiring contract from Ben Sherrod. And this is about as good as you could have hoped for it to be. Yeah, I, I think, you know, if you would have gotten a guy like Owen Tippett, then you probably wouldn't have gotten the first round pick. Mm-hmm. So it, it really depends on, on what you're looking for. And, and, and I think that there's value in getting a guy like Tippett who basically is playing professionally already uh, in North America. So, you know, he's a little bit older, things like that. So there are advantages to that. But I, I think that, you know, you're, you're looking at basically replacing the, the first round pick with, with that. But I'm OK with getting an extra an extra first round pick in 2023, even if it isn't in the lottery. It is a, a pick that you can use to move up in that you know, a 2023 draft that is expected to be even stronger than the 2022 one. So there's a lot to like about this trade, very, very obviously off the top. And it's funny because, you know, leading up to the trade deadline, people are like, oh, you know, they're looking for what Tampa Bay gave up uh, to Columbus for David Savard, which was a first and a third. And they ended up getting a first. They got Tyus Milanic, who was a, a third just a couple of years ago, and they got a fourth yeah. <laughs> with that as well. So uh, they end up getting more than Columbus got for David Savard. And, and I think that that just speaks to 
what Ben Sherat brings and the perception of Ben Sherat. And listen, he was definitely valuable to this Canadians team in the last two playoff runs. It's it's not. I I don't think that his season this year is necessarily indicative of the player he is, mainly because there is not one player on the Montreal Canadiens this year of which this year should be indicative of what the the other play is. Like, literally, everyone had got better after Martin St. Louis got hired. Like, Like, there's not one player who got worse. Or, you know, very few players even stayed the same, right? Like, almost everyone had an immediately, had immediate improvement in their play. So when you look at the first 45 games of the season or so, or whatever it was under under Dominic Ducharme, I don't know how much you can read into that. Uh, but but I think that the value in Ben Chirot is the last two years in the playoffs. And teams see that, uh, whether it's a team like Toronto who saw it firsthand or a team, you know, who's watching the last, you know, two or three rounds or uh, even four rounds of, of the playoffs last year can see what Ben Schwab brings. And the advantage of being a seller at the trade deadline is that the teams that you're selling to are expecting to go to the playoffs, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like Florida doesn't need help to get to the playoffs, right? They don't need a, a number two or three defenseman right now, right? They need somebody to, to get them over the hump in the playoffs. And I think there's an argument that he will help them uh, in, in the playoffs just because he plays that kind of physical play. And, and and I do think that there is there's value for Florida in this, but Montreal doesn't care about that, right? Montreal doesn't care how far Florida goes in the playoffs this year. No. They they don't care if they even if the Panthers resign Ben Sherrod or not. All they care about is what's coming in, and what's coming in is an absolute win <laughs> for, for what yeah. they, they're getting. And and I, I this was the big one, right? This is the one that everyone knew they were gonna trade Ben Sherrod. And if they didn't, it'd be basically a fireable offense <laughs> to, to not <laughs> trade him. Um, but, but I think that now the question becomes, what else is there? <laughs> you know, uh, Cedric Paquette cleared waivers already. Matthew Perot is on waivers as we speak on, on Wednesday night. And, you know, there's Arturi Lekinen, and obviously they're, they're expecting a first-round pick for him if, if they trade him. There's obviously Brett, Brett Kulak, uh, who's an expiring contract as well. And then there's guys like Jeff Petrie, Yol Armia, maybe Brendan Gallagher, you know, guys like Allen. that. But that, that's th- those are those are more summer trades. I, I don't think that those trades are getting done, you know, between now and Monday. So it, it really is interesting to see what's going to happen. And, and it, they're, they're in a weird place where they might actually be buying now, <laughs> right? There's guys yeah. out there like, you know, uh, Zaka of the Devils, um, even you know Maxim Contois in Anaheim, you know uh, Jack McBain, uh, the Minnesota Wild uh, prospect as well, and, and so there, there's there's a lot of things out there where you can make hockey trades, right? You know Montreal sees somebody that they have in their system or a prospect or a pick that they want to give up for somebody that they still see growing into the future. So, so there is still action to be had, I think, between now and Monday. But, but I, I don't think there's anything that you can sit here today and be like, 
yep, that's going to happen. But yeah, this is a great trade. You know, Ty, Tyus Milanic, when, when his name popped up, I'm like, oh, that's an interesting name. You know, a, yeah. a sec, you know, late, basically a, a middle third round pick. He was, he was number 41 in EOTP's consensus rankings in 2020. So obviously, you know, well thought of heading into his draft year um, as, as well, you know, right behind Justin Barron, who has turned out to be a pretty good prospect in, in Colorado. And, and so th- there are actually ahead of, of Jake Neighbors, somebody who plays with Keaton Gooley in Edmonton right now as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also, you know, we mentioned Justin Sordiff. Justin Sordiff was 48th in the 2020 rankings. Um, there's a lot of names here that actually are guys that, um, are, are very good junior players. Luke Evangelista as well, who was 51. But yeah, but basically there, there's a lot of players in that that range. And, and Smolanik was, was right there. You know, he had a couple of first round uh, rankings as well. So, you know, I, I don't think they're expecting him to be a star, but they don't need him to be a star. If he becomes an NHL player, that, that's that's already a win. Never factoring that another, you know, top 32 pick and, and another additional pick. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you how you can complain about this. You know, the the reason why he made the trade Wednesday and not waiting till Monday is because he got what he wanted, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's basically where we are right now. Yeah, and um, you know, you you mentioned all those other junior players, and I mentioned sort of specifically and Owen Tippett as guys that I would be interested in, right? Um, but you made a good point earlier is that if if it was Owen Tippett, right, you probably don't get that first. So what does Owen Tippett do? Does Owen Tippett make you better next year? Sure he does. I would say, yeah, if you have Owen Tippett on the Montreal Canadiens, you're better next year. What I like about this move is that Ken Hughes is sending a signal that I'm not necessarily looking at how do I get better next year. I'm looking at how do I make this team better and how do we stay better? And he's clearly focused on adding those draft picks and making sure that he has uh, a lot of young talent that he can bring up through the course of time, right? That 2023 draft stands out to be a very deep draft. Now you have two picks in the first round, so you have an opportunity maybe to move up or to take two players, right? If the opportunity doesn't come for you to move up, then you you keep the picks. You you get two different guys in the first round. Obviously, the Florida pick is probably going to be a little bit late, but I like that we're not looking at, okay, how do we accelerate this rebuild to the point that we're competitive next year? It's more, how do we get the maximum amount of assets out of anybody that we're not keeping, Right. Again, I would have loved to see Tippett coming the other way. I would have loved to see sort of coming the other way. But honestly, when I sat down and thought about it for a little bit after the trade went through and they officially announced it, I was like, you know what? Would I really want it to be one of those players instead of the first round pick as well? I'm not so sure. I think with where the Habs are, I would rather have those picks. I would rather have Ken Hughes focused on setting this team up to be competitive for a long time rather than, okay, let's try to half-ass this thing and, and just get the best possible players for next year. Right. Yeah, it, for sure. It, it, it's, it's interesting because I mean, I, I read a whole article saying how, you know, getting older players is, is kind of a, an interesting way of, of getting around, you know, people who don't want to trade get picks. But, but I think in a case like, you know, Owen Tippett was a, a very high pick when he was drafted, but he's, He's he's getting older on on the side as well, right? He's he's entering that kind of second contract territory, and and the Canadians are not in a position to kind of load up on guys like that. You know, I, obviously they have Nick Suzuki, who is getting that you know that big contract starting next season. Mm-hmm. You know, Cole Caulfield is going to need a contract. Alexander Romanov. You, you don't want to load up on too many guys that are going to be needing contracts at the same time, right? It's 
And that's why I like about this 2023 first as well. I mean, it kind of worked out that Florida didn't have their pick this year, but at the same time, it's interesting because you kind of spread it out, you know, and, and yes, you know, it'd be nice to have, you know, multiple first round picks. Now they have multiple first round picks for two years in a row, at least. And, and that, you know, like I said, there's still assets that are are out there that might, you know, get other additional picks or, or even first round picks. So it, I, I do like spreading it out. Obviously, 2023, getting that 2023 pick with no lo- no uh, lottery protection, I don't think Florida is going to bottom out. <laughs> but but I, I mean, I don't think, you know, I thought Montreal was going to bottom out either. So you never It'd know. It would be a whole lot cooler if they did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, it obviously it gets a little bit interesting if you have two lottery picks in that draft as well. But yeah, I, I think that there's there's really, you know, spreading out those picks is good as well because you know the canadians are are going to be in this for the long haul and it's not just about getting a team together that's going to contend again it's it's building an organization and i think getting as many bullets as you can in that you know and and is is a good thing and you know there's there's a lot of things out there that montreal can do you know that there's there's, you know, thought, you know, trading for McBain. I mean, he's, he's 24 at this point, um, you know, graduating from, from the NCAA. He's not, not that he's old, but, you know, you don't want to get too many of those guys, you know, and you get Tippett who is, you know, a little bit older as well. It, it, it's one of those things where you want to spread it out a little bit. You know, this team is not going to contend necessarily in the next two years. Right. So you want to be able, you know, Tippett is 23. He's been okay. In, in the NHL, he's over a point a game in the AHL this year. It, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, I mean, it, it could work out, but at the same time, it's a risk, right? And and not saying that the 2023 first-round pick is automatically going to work out either, but it, it's it, you're starting the clock over with that pick as opposed to getting somebody who's been, you know, playing professionally for the last, you know, two or three years. Yeah. And so it's it, it, there, there's pros and cons to both, but but I think that, yeah, giving me the, the cho- choice between Tippett and a first round pick in 2023, I, I'd probably take the pick, but Tippett would have been okay too. <laughs> there's, I don't think there's a wrong answer no. um, in, in this trade. So yeah, I, I think it was, it's, it was smart. And the, the wild card here is, is Smolanic and, and they're loading up on guys that are interesting. You know, Emil Heinemann, interesting prospect. You know, and and these guys are, you know, let's say that the they got a second round pick. A guy like Smolanik in the second round is pretty much what you want, right? A, a guy with that kind of um, skill set and and potential. You know, he's been playing in in the the NCAA and for uh, Quinnipiac. He was part of the U.S. World Junior Team that was part of the, the tournament in January. He'd be eligible for the summer one as well because of that. And likely will be a member of that team as well, because you have to take out the guys who are going NHL bound. And so yeah, know, there's a chance that he'll um, even get a bigger role on that team. So yeah, there, there's a lot uh, of intriguing parts about this trade. And, and I, you know, I think most people would be okay with the first and the fourth, you know, adding an additional <laughs> prospect to that is, is, is just great. Yeah. I would have taken the first and the fourth, honestly, if it was me. <laughs> so it's, I guess it's a good thing that I'm not the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens because if they offered me that, I would have been like, Oof, how do I say no? Um, because like you said, we were looking at what about the same thing uh, in the David Savard trade. 
So first and a fourth is pretty damn close to that. You'd, you'd have to kind of jump on it. And Smolanic, I honestly, I'm not going to lie. didn't even hear his name um, once until <laughs> I, until that trade went through. And then, you know, I started doing my furious reading on him. And when you read the, the book on him sounds a hell of a lot like Paul Byron, fast player uh, who gets involved in the four check, not super great defensively um, where Paul Byron, I, I would argue is pretty good defensively, but he's fast. He can score and uh, projects as probably a bottom six winger. I guess he plays center for, for Quinnipiac, but he's according to everything I've read, he has some issues in terms of his decision-making and his playmaking abilities. So I don't think center is going to be a home for him. I think the home for him is probably going to be on the wing and he's six foot one and like about 180 pounds. So he's like a bigger version of Paul Byron, basically skates fast, can, can jump into the rush and maybe can play a little bit up and down your lineup as a result of having some offensive skills. So if he realizes the potential of being, let's say a, a middle six, bottom six winger, that alone, if you could look back in hindsight, two, three years from now, let's say he's a bottom six winger. That alone, you would probably argue was, okay, we gave up a guy that we weren't going to re-sign anyways to get that. Great. When you throw in the two picks, it's it's gravy, right? Yeah. So I, I think, again, I would have loved to see Tippett. I would have loved to see Sordiff. Um, but I think they think pretty highly of Sordiff. I was kind of surprised it wasn't Sordiff because I know the Habs probably got a lot of opportunities to look at him. Uh, while they're watching Caden Gooley this year, uh, they play together in Edmonton. But again, there's no sense splitting hairs over the prospect and giving up the opportunity to have a controllable asset in the form of a pick that you can use, and especially in a draft as strong as 2023 is supposed to be. Because what if the Habs end up with like, the I don't know, let's say they're bad again next year and they end up with the third overall pick for 2023. What if you want to move up? And you go, you know what? I really want either Bedard or Mitchkov. And let's say that they are still projected to go one and two. I don't know what's going to happen with Mitchkov. Mitchkov might slide because of his contract situation and, you know, the overall situation in Russia. But, um, uh, you know, let's say you wanted to move up. Let's say you're number two or number three and you go, I really want to get up to number one. You're going to need something that you can throw at them to, to let you get up there. Right. And even if you don't, it's a very deep draft. So you can pick multiple players. You can set this team up for a long time with these assets. Whereas again, as you mentioned with an Owen Tippett, he's been in the pros for a couple of years, right? Doing quite well in the AHL, but not blowing the doors off in the NHL. Justin Sordiff. Uh, I look at his numbers. I've seen him play a, a number of times. I like him, but I don't think he's going to be a bona fide top six player in the NHL. I think he's another guy that projects probably as a middle sixer. And I value that pick more because, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a magic box in the sense that you're not quite sure what you're going to get. But at the same time, that's a strong draft. You get an opportunity there to start setting up your team for, for a long future uh, of, of success. And, again, Tippett does what? Makes you better next year? I, I think for sure if he was on the tabs right now, they'd be a little bit better than they are. But we, I, I don't think that the prime focus for this management group should be how do we get better next year? It should be we have a timeline. During this timeline, we want to compete. And if that timeline is, is five years, then, then great. Stack these picks and, and use those to get better. Yeah, for, exactly. And, and you know, even you know, packaging, even if the pick is lower in the, the first round, if you want to package, say, say it's 27th overall, and you want to package that with your second round pick, 
to move up into the the teens, you know, there, there's the options, right? It, it's a it's an asset. The, the pick itself is an asset um, that you're kind of, you know, have that in your back pocket if you want to use it. Um, you know, you, we saw, you know, it, it doesn't it hasn't aged very well so far, but you saw what getting that extra first round pick with the offer sheet of Kanyemi did, right? They went out and went yeah. and traded it for Christian Dvorak, right? So you, you, there's there's value in that. And obviously, I'm not saying the Canadians are going to trade that pick for for an asset right now, but there there are, you know, things to, to look at. But something that's interesting to me is, is this 2020 draft? And, and I have the rankings in front of me. And, and you're look, I'm looking at the, the EOTP consensus rankings that, that came out. And, and I'm, this is not gospel, obviously. But, but if you look at the, the top 75 in that ranking uh, and, and who the Canadians ended up with that out of that draft, it's very interesting now, especially given the two trades that were made. So 75 was Luke Tuck, who the Canadians picked 47th overall. You move up a little bit. 64 was Emil Heinemann, who was picked 43rd overall by Florida also, by the way, right? So Montreal has Florida's second and third round picks from that draft. Um in Heinemann and in uh, Smolanic. So 64th ranked was Heinemann. You move up a little bit more, 57th ranked was Sean Farrell, who is obviously a Montreal Canadiens prospect, drafted 124th overall. Go up a little bit higher, and then you have, like I said, Smolanic at 41. Go up a little bit higher. You have Jan Mishak, who is 25th, and then you have Caden Gooley, who is 20th. And that is a pretty good group of prospects to have in your organization. That doesn't even go into the guys who are taking even uh, below that in the draft as well. So Blake Biondi is on obviously there. Um, and there's a, a bunch of prospects uh, from that draft. So that, that's a, a pretty good haul of, of prospects to have in your back pocket. And, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of things. Uh, Jakub Dobish was, uh, was in that draft and he just won. Uh, freshman of the year or, or was yeah. nominated for freshman of the year in big 10 conference. And so, you know, it, it's turning out to be a, a couple of pretty good halls of prospects that the Montreal Canadiens are building. And that's the key thing here, right? Is that it's not only about collecting picks and using these picks and, and doing that. It, it's, it, and also it's what makes the hiring of a development coach, getting Adam Nicholas to your organization, working on development is that you don't only have to draft these people, you have to develop them. And now they have a, a whole group of prospects, not even counting the ones they already have. The, the obviously Jordan Harris is the big name, but there's a, you know, Jaden Struble. There's, you know, so many guys in this organization who Joshua are still Wall. Joshua Wall, obviously, um, who are still developing. And, and so having that plus the Cole Caulfields, plus the Caden Gooleys, plus the, you know, Nick Suzuki's who are all young, uh, you know, the, there's so many, that's why you're not starting to rebuild from zero. You know, it, it, there's, there's a lot in the organization already and building on that is, is what's going to be, you know, this is a, a team that, you know, many people think have a top 10 going into the season, had a top 10 prospect pool in, in Montreal, even top five in some cases. So adding to that, you know, with Heinemann, with Smolanik, and, and then building it with more picks, you know, two multiple first round picks. I mean, when was the last time they had that? I mean, was it 2007? Was that the last time they had multiple first round picks? Um, I and, think it was 07. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's crazy to think that they've gone so long without having that ability of, of drafting high up in, in multiple 
in the first round. And so, you know, giving Polt bullets in that chamber and with all the, the turnover that's happening, it's, it, it's going to be fun to watch. And obviously the draft is always fun anyway, but this is a, uh, it's a good turnaround. You know, Ben Sherratt is, is a great, you know, was a great warrior for the Canadians over the last few years. And they didn't need him anymore. You know, th- this team was obviously last with Ben Sherratt. They're, you know, it, it's not something they needed. They weren't going to re-sign him, or at least I, I, you know, there's no reason to re-sign him at this point. Trade that, get 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 something for him. You know, it's it, it was a it was a they knew they knew they were going to trade him, and they got exactly what they wanted for him, if not maybe even a little bit more. So, yeah, it's uh, competition for the trade market is is. Is, is what drives <laughs> drives all the values up, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it was a de- I was surprised, you know. It, I was you know, you asked me yesterday, I'd be like, yeah, second round pick would be okay, because there wasn't really much rumblings, right? It, there, it looked like the market had cooled a little bit actually, um, heading into today, and then all of a sudden, uh, three assets, including a first round pick, is. That you can't, there's not, it, it sounds like a boring podcast because there's not really much to debate on this. It was great. It was a great trade uh, for the Canadians. Pretty much perfect. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm not seeing too many Florida Panthers fans. I'm just scrolling through the mentions on, on their tweet announcing it. I'm not seeing too many Florida Panther fans freaking out about it, but let's face it, there aren't too many Florida Panthers fans uh, that exist. <laughs> Uh, that's a shot at the Florida Panthers. Yeah, I'm taking shots at them. Uh, but if I was a Florida Panthers fan, I'd be pissed about this, honestly, just because it's an overpay. Obviously, you can't be too pissed if you're a Florida Panthers fan because your team is very good. Uh, you guys stand a very good chance of winning the Stanley Cup. I- I'd put them right up there. Uh, I'd-, I'd say they're probably the favorites, the favorites, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> on one hand, you know, if Sherrod helps you go on a meaningful run, that's probably fun times. If you win a cup, even funner, you know, I'm sick of Florida hockey teams winning the Stanley cup, but uh, what can you do? <laughs> uh, look, this is a great trade for the Montreal Canadians. I think they overpaid. Uh, I think they're going to look back at this as an overpay, but they're probably not going to care one little bit if they end up winning the Stanley cup and Ben Sherrod gets to do a lap with it over his head. So no, it, exactly. It's all relative, right? The, the, the pick doesn't mean as much. Uh, to to a team like Florida, right? They also have a pretty good prospect. They have a top ten prospect pool. You know, they they're they're probably going to be in on other players. You know, Claude Giroux is still out there, uh, and and Florida has been linked to him. And they still have those. You know, the players we mentioned that they didn't get traded to Montreal. They're still they're still out there to get a, a bigger fish as well. So there, there's options for them. But yeah, I mean, look, it, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, people were at the time saying that, you know, Nick Foligno was, was a good trade for Toronto. It was exactly what they needed and it didn't work out. You know, people might be saying right yeah. now that this trade might not work out for Florida, but you know what? Well, let's, let's see what happens after the first round. And let's see what happens when, you know, Florida has to play either Tampa or Toronto or Boston in, in that first round and see what happens at the end of that series. And all these, you know, I've seen Toronto fans saying, "Oh, at least that wasn't us." Yeah, let, 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 well, let's let's see them. Let's see them you, get through Ben Chirotti for a second time in, in the first round. Him, right? if that's what happens, right? So it, it's all it's all relative, right? I mean, you know, look, 
when, when you're a good team like Florida is, it's all about marginal gains, right? You're, you're not looking necessarily for someone to take you from, you know, 90 points to 105 points, right? You're looking for someone that takes you from winning, you know, say 60% of your games in the playoffs to maybe 70% of the games in the playoffs. And, yeah. you know, the difference between, you know, getting to a game six or seven and winning a series. And I think that, look, Ben Sherratt, I, I feel comfortable in saying that the Montreal Canadiens would not have had the success they did against Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. And then the next year against Toronto, Winnipeg and Vegas, if they didn't have Ben Sherratt. And yes, you know, Joel Edmondson was a big part of that. Jeff Petrie was a big part of that. Uh, Shea Weber was obviously a big part of that, but, but Ben Sherratt was a, a big part of it as well. And I think that the things that he does in the seven game series are important. And, and I don't, and I, I know a lot of attention will be on the numbers and, and I'm, I'm uh, I like analytics. I, I like all those numbers as well, but, but I think there is an argument that in the playoffs playing Ben Schrott four to seven times is not fun. <laughs> and I think that it does make a difference when you're going up against it's, guys who don't like to get hit. It's true. He is a big dude and he gets physical it's it's probably i mean as an opposing player it's probably not very fun at all and you know i I take shots at the florida panthers and their fans and stuff but don't worry florida i love you i'm a bucks fan um i'll throw I'll, i'll i'll extend an olive branch here how hilarious would it be if the panthers play the leafs and ben Sherratt's roughing up their star players again and they beat the leafs and knock them out of the playoffs again and then in the off season when Ben Sherratt hits UFA, Kyle Dubas goes out and opens the vault for him and just over leverages that team to get Ben Sherratt specifically because of that and ends up kneecapping his team so that they can't do anything else in that offseason. That would be to me, I mean, as a Habs fan, as somebody who's not going to be watching any playoff hockey this season and probably not next season either, that to me would be just just a wonderful cherry on top of the 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 not so delicious Sunday that this season has been. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that, you know, so, something else that's, you know, we venture literally, I think, you know, his game against Philadelphia was probably his best game as a Canadian. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, there is, he, he is somebody that has that in him where he can play well. The difference is that he was basically being asked to, to lead the Canadian defense. And that's yeah. not the kind of player he is. Right, he's a complimentary piece that can, you know, provide added value, and, and really, he was asked to be the number one defensive defenseman on the Montreal Canadiens. Oh yeah, year. it went, it went from you know you get to lean on Shea Weber to you have to be Shea Weber. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and also by the way, there's no Shea Weber behind you. Yeah, it's basically all you. Like it's not even like he had to be the Shea Weber of his pairing. He had to be the Shea Weber of the team, um, and and not having a bench right next to him either. Right, like it, it's. It's kind of like the, uh, I've said this about Christian Dvorak, where he was basically asked to be Philip Deneau and Jesperi Kakanyemi at the same time. And yeah. that's just, it's an impossible place to be in. And I think that that's, you know, part of the reason that, you know, even Jeff Petrie, right? He was being asked to be Jeff Petrie, Shea Weber, and Joel Edmondson <laughs> at the same time, right? And, and I think that that's a big reason behind his struggles. And there's other reasons as well. I don't think that the system necessarily goes to his strengths. and um it goes beyond just Dominic Ducharme, I, I think. And, and I think there's, there's a lot to be said of how, how bad this team 
was dug into a hole. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that you see that with everyone's numbers. It's just any underlying them. And that's what the Canadians are banking on, right? That when Ken Hughes is shopping guys, he's like, oh, don't, don't trust these numbers. It's just been a bad season. And 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 the, the trick is to try and get these uh, people to bite on that and be like, well, this is not the real Canadians. The real Canadians is the team that went to the playoffs and went to Stanley Cup final. That's the real Ben Chirot. Um, and I think there's an argument for that, like I said, because he's been playing his best hockey at the right time. And and you can you can even add Arturi Lekin into that. You know, his trade value has gone up substantially. And and the Canadians might be like, you know what? We'll just keep him. You know, if no one gives us what we want, we have no problem keeping him. He's a big part of our team, big part of our culture. And and I think that that's uh, a good thing going forward for the Canadians is ha- having that clarity. And yeah, Ben Chirot, wishing the best. Obviously a, a, a very well-liked player in the room. Uh, you know, always having the time uh, for the media as well. So just, you know, a guy who is kind of put into a bad spot. And Right from the start, right when he signed that contract, people were like, uh-oh. And then his first few games, first 10, 15 games were just really bad. And I remember when, not to change the subject too much, but I remember when Travis Moen was struggling when the Canadians got him a few years ago or many years ago now at this point. And, and people are like, don't worry about him struggling. You don't get him for the 82 games of the season. You get him for for the playoffs, for the last stretch of the season, yeah. you know, because if he has to play his game for 82 games, that's, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible to play that style of game for 82 games. And, and I think that that's, there's, there's something to be said for that for, for a guy like Ben Sherrod as well, where, you know, he can't play a hundred percent for 82 games. It's impossible. Especially when you're playing like 24, 25 minutes a night on a losing team. Like it, it's just, None of that works out. So I think that there is value to be gained here. Um, and I think that this trade could work out for Florida because they don't really care about prospects and picks at this point. They, they want playoff success. And yeah, they're, they're in their window, right? right. So they're trying, to, they're, they're trying to jump through that window and, and get a cup. It makes yeah. sense. No, exactly. And it makes sense for Montreal. And so, you know, the best case scenario is that this trade works out for both teams because Montreal doesn't even care where Florida picks this year. Right, if, if Florida wins yeah. the Stanley Cup, Florida wins well, the Stanley Cup and picks thirty second. Well, we, we should me- we we should mention the small caveat to that yeah. pick though, which is that if because they already previously traded two thousand twenty two to Buffalo, and there's a condition on that pick which said yeah. that if Florida ends up with a top ten pick in two thousand twenty two, then it slides to two thousand twenty three. So all we need is for Ben Sherratt to not be bad enough that Florida <laughs> ends up with a top 10 pick and then we don't care where they pick this year because Buffalo's picking that pick anyways. So. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, as good of a chance of Florida picking in the top 10 as there is Montreal not picking in the top 10. So, you know, do with that as you will. Um, but yeah, I, there, 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 I mean, yes, there's a chance of it, but no, it, it's not happening. It, yeah, it's, it's, like not Cal- happening. it's like Calgary, Calgary putting their lottery protection on there. Yeah. I, I don't think this pick is going to be, going to the top 10. I think, I think Calgary's pick is safe. I think Florida's pick is safe. Don't worry about that. And, uh, you know, Florida can, can uh, have all the injuries next year and, and finish in the, uh, the bottom five. Yeah. And, that, uh, and that's the cool thing is that, like, the, <laughs> the one condition you didn't want them to put was a lottery protection on that specific one in 2023 and they didn't. So yeah. awesome. You know, let's, yeah, but it's, I, I don't, I don't think it's going to end up in the lottery anyway, but Hey, you never know. You never know. Uh, we can dream. 
All right. Uh, you know, thanks for listening. Um, a quick little wrap up of, of the breaking news. We'll have a lot more uh, heading into uh, Monday's game. Obviously, Monday, there's, there's a busy day. There's a game on Monday as well. There's a game on Thursday. There's a game on Saturday. Uh, lots of stuff coming up uh, at the Habs Lazen Prize. We'll have it all covered on the website uh, and uh, obviously on, uh, on the podcast as well. Thank you for listening, Matt. Thank you for joining me. And we'll see you next time on Habs and Monday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.